Great, let's take our Bibles, take a look at James chapter one. I'm so thankful for the scriptures, for their permanence in our lives, and the fact that what you hold in your hand today or what you see on a phone is true. Here's the Bible. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is the word of God. Would you say, thanks be to God. You know, there's sometimes in the context of writing a sermon or thinking about how to bring God's word to you, that I've got to think about how do I convince you at the very beginning of a sermon that what I'm about, you to, about to tell you is worth listening to. There are things in the Bible that aren't intuitively obvious. And so sometimes in preaching or communication, you think about a hook, how to be able to grab someone's attention quickly and then also get their buy-in so that they, they kind of lean into the, 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 the sermon, if you will. The subject matter doesn't seem to be quite relevant. Well, I trust you know that this is not that kind of text. This is not that kind of sermon. And, and the reason is, is because we're talking about our talking. We're talking about the convergence of both listening and talking and anger. And I trust that you know that every single one of us needs to think about this. So right from the get-go, I wanna encourage you not to do something. The minute I started talking about the subject of talking, some of you immediately had someone's face come to mind and you're like, ooh, I hope so-and-so is gonna listen to this sermon. Let me encourage you not to do that. Let me encourage you not to nudge the person you're sitting next to about, you know, that, did you hear that point or things of that sort. Let me encourage you today just to, to listen for you because what James wants to do here is to lovingly, pastorally, but also bluntly, help us to understand the nature of the problem of our words. Now this is gonna be part one of two. We're gonna deal with the issue of anger next week, and I hope that doesn't make you angry. If it does, listen to the sermon next week. But we're just simply gonna to talk today about the issue of listening and speaking. James, if you'll recall, was writing to a group of people who were under the press of hardship and persecution. And they know what you know, which is all it takes is frustration, a little bit of anger, some fear, put that in the mix, and man, stuff comes out. Words that are hard to roll back. And James wants to help us understand how to think about our speaking. And so he issues a caution, and then he issues two commands. There's actually three in the text. We're gonna cover two this week and one next week. So first, let's look at the caution. The text begins with this statement that James wants us to understand and know something. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, James issues all sorts of commands throughout his book, which is one of the reasons that we love the book of James, because he's so clear, so straightforward, we saw that over the last couple of weeks, like let no one say when he is tempted or do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. That's, first, that's James 1, 13 and 16. But the caution here is clear, but it's gentle. James says, know this, 
my beloved brothers. So he uses that phrase, beloved brothers, again, in order so that they will know that James is concerned about them. You know, if you have a friend in your life who can speak to you about your speech, if you got somebody who loves you enough to say, hey man, that wasn't appropriate, or you shouldn't have said it that way, you ought to thank God for that person. Because some of the most personal and intimate things relate to how we talk. And what James is trying to do is to pastor these people through the difficulties that they're in, realizing no doubt that some of the difficulties were causing words to be said to one another and about one another that were damaging and simply not helpful. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. Know this means to understand something. New Living Translation renders it that way. The NIV renders it this way. Take note of this. So the idea is this is really important. It needs to be comprehended and it needs to be recalled from memory. In other words, this probably isn't new. This is just something that needs to be recalled. It's an issue that is self-evidently important. If you're listening to the sermon and you're not even yet a Christian, I mean, you know that words matter. I mean, my guess is you could think back on a time when someone said something to you that was just so incredibly hurtful and it's, it's hard to even forget about that. Like it's still there, it's still raw. And the Bible speaks into this, even into Christians. You know, you would think, and we'll talk about this more in a moment, that Christians of all people would be the most gracious with their words because of what God has done for them in Christ, but sadly, that is often not the case. We all wrestle in various ways with the issue of our words, which is why James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Every person. So there's not a single person listening to this sermon to whom this text doesn't apply. This issue of how we talk and how we listen is a widely applied matter for us to consider. Whether it's a conflict with a friend, tension with a spouse, what podcast you listen to and the tone of it, your comments on social media, what you text about, what you talk about, you know, you know, you know, you know it's an issue. It's rampant. It's rampant in our lives, it's rampant in our culture. Turn on the news, I've seen it way too many times, I have to turn off a news station because all that is in front of me is a verbal cage fight. And unfortunately, it's not just outside of the church, it's also inside the church, the broader church, and yes, even within our church. It's grieving when we see brothers and sisters trade verbal barbs back and forth we act as if we're no different than the world. I mean, I'm sure you see this. I'm sure you've got a friend who has a problem with this. <laughs> the fact of the matter is at some level, we've all been part of it. No one's immune. You're not, I'm not. This is an issue for us to consider. James says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and the challenge is is the pressure of the environment and the culture in which we live doesn't make it easy to follow this instruction very well scott sauls has a book called a gentle answer in that book it's a long quote but here's what he says in our current cultural moment outrage has become more expected than surprising 
more normative than odd, more encouraged than discouraged, more rewarded than rejected. It's part of the air we breathe, a native language, a sick helping of emotional food and drink to satisfy our hunger for taking offense, shaming, and punishing. Outrage has become something we can't get away from, partly because we don't seem to want to get away from it. Instead of getting rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, as scripture urges us to do, we form entire communities around our irritations and our hatreds. Tribes and echo chambers form, social media feeds grow, political pontifications multiply, book deals prosper, podcasts rant, and churches split. On some level, we are all engaged in the seemingly insatiable, ubiquitous theme of us against them. The whole idea of being for something has gone out of style. Instead, we prefer to preach an angry gospel about whatever we have decided to stand against. We warm ourselves next to the fire of digital hashtags, ideologically slanted news feeds, political slogans, and religious doctrines, and then ready, aim, fire. Whew. That quote should make you a little uncomfortable. If you don't feel uncomfortable, then my guess is this message needs to be heard and listened carefully too. Let me encourage you to do three things as we walk through this text today. Number one, resist the urge to listen to this message with someone else in mind. Can we just commit right now? I'm not gonna listen with somebody else's portrait in front of me. Secondly, to pray to ask the Lord that he would open your heart to where you need to change. And then secondly, and we'll give you a list at the end, to look for one to two action steps in your life as it relates to your speech that you can take. What particular sin issues, as it relates to your words, do you need to repent of? So embrace the caution, receive it, listen, and then we're ready for the two commands. Hopefully now that James has our attention, and I yours, he provides these two commands, there's three of them, but the first two are be quick to hear and slow to speak. It's interesting, quick to hear, slow to speak. Just think of that for a moment before we even get into the specifics of these two commands. Quick to hear, slow to speak. James very wisely and pastorally in a skillful way inverts the normal pattern of humans as it relates to listening and speaking. Slow to speak, quick to listen. That's the opposite of how we normally roll. Normally, we are slow to listen and we're quick to speak. So James just goes the opposite of the way that we normally operate. And that's just an important reminder that generally, as it relates to how we operate in the world and how we communicate, it would be wise that when the winds are blowing one way, think about going the other direction. When there's this sense of uh, everybody's heading this direction, be careful that you don't get kind of swooped up into the prevailing way in which the world, the culture, your friends, or your small group, or your friends on social media are acting and responding. There's an encouragement here to kind of go the opposite direction. And so the question I would just have you think about is this, are you unusual in your communication in the realm in which you operate? Do the people at work or your friends, do they, do they see you as somebody who, man, most people talk like this, but man, you talk like this. Most people are like this, but you're like that. Or do you just operate like everybody else in the marketplace, at work, in the context of your neighborhood, online? Is there anything different about the way that you communicate that would somehow beg the question, man, you're different. Or are you just the same as everybody else? James issues these two commands. The first one is be quick to hear. It's interesting, 
he elevates, as the Bible does throughout the canon, the priority of listening. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about this issue of listening. Listening is commended at multiple levels and in multiple ways. For instance, Proverbs 15, 31 says, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. And Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So the Bible commends listening. In fact, underneath the category and the idea of listening is the reality of the gospel. Why would a Christian be more inclined to listen? Here's why. Because a Christian shouldn't trust his or her own heart. A Christian has learned the secret to life, which is this. My biggest problem in me, in life, is me. And the Bible identifies that the issue within the context of the human heart is the darkness of the human soul. The Bible identifies that at the end of the day, when I come to conflict, I bring a lot of baggage into that conflict. Which is why the book of Proverbs also says this, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Or if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame, Proverbs 18, 13. Some of you may have read the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. It's not a Christian book, he's a Mormon, but there is a habit in there that I find to be incredibly wise, and I frankly wish a Christian had said it, which is to seek first to understand, then to be understood. You see, I would argue that Christians ought to be the ones who most likely would be inclined to listen. Why? Because we know the pervasiveness of sin within us. We know the problem of pride that lurks in the heart of every person. And that is what Jesus has saved us from. He didn't just save us from the sins that we do, he saved us from the sinner that we are. He saved us from a heart that's bent on always thinking that I'm right. A heart that is easily offended and quick to make a statement. And what happens is that Jesus comes to rescue us from the damnable orientation of our souls and the wicked things that come out of them. And God gives grace to helpless sinners and then he changes what we love and what we value. So the result of the infusion of Christ's righteousness into your life and the imputation of that righteousness is that now the orientation of your life has been radically altered such that you, such that you live for God and for the love of one another. So it's that your motivation in life is if God has rescued me like this, then by his grace, my heart is now set on loving him and loving my neighbor as myself. In fact, so much so that John tells us that if God so loved us, we ought to love one another, 1 John chapter four. So I trust that you know that a failure to listen is actually a failure to love. Think of that the next time when a friend says something that you don't agree with or you see something and you just kind of get your ire up. Before you jump there, just know, let's take a moment and consider what love looks like. A failure to listen is really cherishing my own opinions, my views, 
or what I want to say over the other person. It's a violation of Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You see, when you're not listening to a spouse, to your friend, what someone has posted on social media, to what a group of people are saying. When you're not listening, it's usually because we're full of pride and only concerned about ourselves. And this runs contrary to the very nature of the gospel. Again, Scott Saul says this, because Jesus has covered all our offenses, we can be among the least offensive and the least offended people in the world. I think you'd probably agree with me that listening to one another, especially with those with whom we disagree, is at an all-time low. Choose your topic. Politics, COVID restrictions, racial reconciliation, any number of issues. The pressure of the environment causes us to not listen to a friend or to a spouse. Frankly, It's a great opportunity for us to tangibly live out the gospel, but for many of us, the problem underneath our lives is the issue of fear, and we're so afraid of something that we throw graciousness to the wind. And yet here's Jesus who comes to rescue us from fear of judgment, from fear of condemnation, from fear of uncertainty about our future. He gets underneath all of the emotional realities of our lives and then frees us to be gracious, frees us to be kind, frees us to be listening, frees us to disagree in the right way. You know why? Because a Christian doesn't have to be right because Jesus already made him righteous. Why do you need to be right? at the cost of being kind. Do you want to be heard or do you want to learn? Do you want to score a point or have a dialogue? Do you want to win or do you want to love? Imagine the testimony of the church and what it could be if we were so marked by God's grace and with our love for one another that people in the world and culture just said, how does this work? Because your group seems really different than the rest of the world. Let me encourage you in small ways to be a part of that vision. You can disagree, have your view that's different than somebody else. Just be sure you do it in a way that fits with the totality of what the gospel is all about. Be quick to hear. Here's the second thing, be slow to speak. The second command is equally important, but it's a little more pointed and it's a little more risky because Not listening does create damage, but I think we would all agree our words create a lot more damage. Proverbs 10, 19 says this, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 17 says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. What James and Paul are getting to is the importance of self-control with our words. I mean, come on, let's be honest. It's really easy to 
because of what's wrong inside of you, your fear, your anger, your frustration, your exhaustion, the pressure of the moment to reduce the spiritual maturity filter between your heart and your mouth. And all of the pressure of hard circumstances tend to reduce that filter. And that's what's happening in the context of our culture. I I think you'd agree that 2020 is not gonna be known as the year of godly communication. (laughs) No one is gonna put that on the front of a magazine. The year of great speech. Both in our culture, in the evangelical church, even within our own church. I'm sure you, like me, have been grieved at times at what's being said, how it's being said. There's more outrage. There's more passive-aggressive behavior. You know some people like that, don't you? I mean, you know some people like that, right? You know someone like that, right? Because you do know someone like that, right? Right, you know someone like that. I know, I know someone like that. It just took you a little while to know where I was going because you were kind of going down that path for a little bit. You're like, I do know some. Oh, I got you, I got you, right? Coming back. A little mere action. The hard part is that we can always find someone worse than ourselves. It's not hard to do. And yet in the middle of all of that comparison game that we play, here's what Titus chapter three says. Paul says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Then he says this, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Wow. I mean, just just think if that one text became more true about Christians in general, how Beautiful and amazing that would be. Then Ephesians 4.31 says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And then Paul, writing to this church at Corinth, which was a talented, wealthy, gifted church filled with all kinds of division, he says this, for I fear, this is 2 Corinthians 12.20, I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish. (laughs) This is so funny. And that you may find me not as you wish. Paul's like, I'm going to come to you, and I don't think I'm going to like who you are, and you're not going to like who I am. So he writes this letter to them as a warning. But then what does he not like? That perhaps there may be quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder. So when it comes to our words, there's a lot to think about. So what I did is I went through a list of just a few, nine, of common sin issues that the Bible identifies as it relates to our words. So if we wanna be quick to hear a commitment that I wanna live out the gospel in how I value you and treat you in terms of listening, careful about even the conclusions that I draw in my own heart, what does it then mean to be slow to speak? What are the sin issues that we need to put off? Well, here's a list, we're gonna walk through these. What I want you to do as I kind of go through these, either here or at home, is to identify which among these are the ones that you need to embrace or which of these shoes fits. So lying, I mean, newsflash, you need to be truthful. Or how about rudeness, unkind communication, just something that's meant to be a dig, that's meant to cause harm. Or here's another, gossip. 
sharing information needlessly or hurtfully. Gossip's a hard one, isn't it? Because it's so tempting and we all do it in some way. It's the conversation that starts, I'll come back to that list, just a minute. It's the conversation that starts, hey, did you hear about? And before you know it, you're off to the races. Or, hey, I'm wondering about, and the person that you're talking with isn't a part of the, converse, isn't a part of the problem or the solution. Now, gossip doesn't mean the information isn't untrue. It just means that you shouldn't be talking about it. Or maybe you think gossip means that you only talk to one person at a time about the issue. <laughs> Another one, slander. Slander is untrue accusations. I'm telling you right now in the middle of this political season, I, I get a piece of mail in my box, both sides, that has elements of slander in it. A suggestion that then has a inference that then goes to a label. Can I just caution you about labeling? We do it all the time, both sides of the aisle, both kinds of people in evangelicalism, both kinds of people even in the context of our church. Be careful when you say, well, they're a blank. Be careful. Remember that you're gonna have to give um, an account to Jesus for every careless word that was spoken. Suggestion has power in it. Satan used it in the garden. It's not an uncommon strategy of the devil. Has God really said? Are they really doing that? Are they really? Those things can just take off. Here's another one, quarreling. The kind of person, and maybe you know someone like this, who's looking for and creating arguments. They're, they're always looking for a debate. They love to quarrel. In fact, an older translation calls this kind of person a brawler. Or here's another one, divisiveness. Someone who creates unnecessary division. Now let me be clear, sometimes division is necessary because of something that's wrong or in error. But we have to be careful about not making a mountain out of a molehill issue and somehow creating divisiveness where there needs to be none. Here's three more, disrespect, talking in a way that diminishes others. It's a rarity today that we would attack ideas, not people. Those of you who are in debate realm would know that an ad hominem attack is very common in our culture. Go after the person, regardless of their ideas, and you go after the person as a means of attacking their ideas. Or clamor, which is verbal combat. Scott Sauls says, how many people do you know who were scolded their way into the kingdom? or boasting, celebrating yourself. So what I want you to do is to look at this list, I'm gonna pull it up here in a moment, again, as we close, when we close, and I want you just to think through and ask yourself, instead of thinking about somebody else, which are the sin issues to which you contribute to the problem of sinful and harmful speech? If you don't know, you might wanna ask someone close to you and say, hey, that list, which one do you think I'm, I mean, if you have the courage to ask somebody this, it'd kind of be a bold move. Which of these things do you think that I'm more inclined to be guilty of? See, the challenge is, is that Ephesians 4 tells us that we're to minister grace to the hearers. Why should Christians minister grace? Because of all the grace that we've been given. Why should Christians speak in a way that honors the Lord? Because the word of God has changed our hearts. 
Why should Christians speak in a way that honors the Lord? Because God hears it all. Think of that. I mean, you'd be, how many times have you done it where, where you, you called somebody accidentally or you left a voicemail and it had the recording of your conversation in the car and then someone texted you and said, hey, your phone was on and you left me a long voicemail and you think, oh my word, what did I say? Now imagine that the Lord knows every word that you've said and even the words that you've wanted to say, the ones you said in your head but didn't say out loud. We're to be gracious as God has been gracious to us. We're to trust in God's ability to vindicate us and therefore you don't need to vindicate yourself. God is your vindicator. And as a result, you're free. Free to be kind, free to be gracious, free to be candid but not mean, free to be truthful but not rude, free to bear all things, to believe all things, to hope all things, and endure all things, free to be kind, Ephesians 4, tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ has forgiven us. So again, as it relates to your life, listening and speaking, the pressure of the moment certainly surfaces the things that are in our hearts that come out so quickly through the mouth. Can I ask you if you're a Christian, how's your speech? The grace of God, is it evident in you? Do people around you know that you're a follower of Jesus because of the graciousness of your words and the way that you conduct yourself? The problem is, is that you can get hooked up with some people in the world and in the church who sort of normalize ungodly speech, and before you know it, that behavior becomes kind of normative, even though it's wrong. And can I encourage you just to go the other direction? Are you a person who listens well? Someone who really values other people because they're made in the image of God because you are nervous about the brokenness of your own soul and you really want to understand, you want to be a person who's quick to hear and slow to speak. Maybe you're here and you're not yet a Christian and you've known some Christians who have been awful with their words and on behalf of them, I'm sorry that was your experience. But you may realize that underneath your life is this heart condition that just comes out in all sorts of ways. And so what do you do about that? And we'd love to have a conversation with you about the way in which a relationship with Christ sets in motion the possibility of your life radically changing, including the way that you talk. James is writing to a group of hurting people who are under the pressure of hard circumstances. And he wants them to know something, all of them. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Now what I'd like you to do is to take a look at this list again. And let your eyes just land on it. As we go to prayer, which of those sin issues would God put his finger on and say, Mark, right there. And as we conclude, can you just take a moment and talk to God about that thing. Would you ask him to help you by his grace to let your speech be seasoned with grace? Lord, help us. We need your transforming power in our lives in order for our ears to hear differently and our mouths to talk differently. 
Lord, every single one of us understands the, the, the nature of how challenging this issue can be in our lives. It affects relationships, it does damage. And so would you help us to be a people who cherish godly communication and are careful with our words? And Lord, then make your church unique from the rest of the world and culture by the way in which we communicate. Thank you, Jesus, that you've so transformed our lives and our hearts that this is even possible. And so we pray that we will live out your grace, having experienced your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, we're going to dismiss you and grateful that you've been a part of our worship service. Those of you who are in the room and those of you who are worshiping at home, I wanna remind you that we're gonna dismiss you from the back row to the front on your own. You'll do that by yourself. And uh, as you make your way out into the uh, atrium area, mind you to keep a little distance between each other, about six feet would be great. Monday, 12 to one, the chapel will be open for prayer. And uh, that's a great time just to be able to reflect on um, God's goodness and grace, just to kind of have a refuge for you. So 12 to one in the chapel. And then also we'll have our elders and pastors out in the atrium. We'd love to be able to pray for you. If you have a question about what it means to be a Christian, we would love to have that conversation with you. For those of you at home, yourchurch.com forward slash next is where you could go. Now, may God make his face to shine upon you, church. May he give you grace so that in every difficulty, you'll know exactly what to say and maybe even better, what not to say. May God help your speech to be seasoned with grace and your ears to be ready to listen. I love you, church. Thanks for coming. God bless you.